Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. It is officially, like Patrick said, Conversation Sunday. Conversation Sundays are running all Sunday this summer. So, excuse me, all summer on Sundays. So come prepared for that. We think that's a great way to invite that whole planting and watering thing is that we want to plant a seed of faith in our community, our friends, our family, our neighbors. Just plant a seed of faith and that God will do the rest. And so there's, we're giving you invitation opportunities left and right from the summer calendar to even Sunday mornings. They're going to be fun. And so you can loosen up right now and just start thinking about the questions on your heart. Maybe it's a God question, a, a local church question about Watermark. It could be a personal question. Like, hey, uh, some of you know, many of you don't because I just met you this weekend or in the last month. Uh, Riley and Ben, we got, my, that's my wife, Riley. We got nine kids, like under the age of nine. How did that happen? Why? Just mostly why. Uh, that's a fair question. Maybe you want to lob that one up there, but we're just going to have fun with so there's lots of ways you can join that conversation. Jump on the Facebook live stream right now and, and, and jump in the comments. You can grab the mic. Patrick's going to be waving his arm and you could do that. Uh, most people really enjoy the anonymous version, of course, which is watermarkoc.com slash questions. And so just you can get that right now. Just be thinking maybe about the message today, the series we're in or anything, all of the above. All right. And uh, I am actually going to leave time for that question section. So I'm going to preach for 20 minutes. And in fact, I brought my kitchen timer right now. People said it couldn't be done. Uh, Ben will never preach for only 20 minutes. But uh, guess what? We're about to find out. So I just started that bad boy. Today, our big idea is Jesus, the high priest. Jesus, the compassionate high priest comes from Hebrews chapter 4. Get your Bibles out right now. Get your phone out and go to Hebrews 4 verse 14. That's where we're going to be. Three verses. Just three verses. We're going to do a deep dive in these three verses. I'm just going to give you kind of a language study in the original language, which would have been Greek, um, behind what is loaded up in this passage. What does that mean that we have a high priest? What is priestly language about? He's able to sympathize with us. We should come close to him. How? He's a holy God. And then we confidently, confidently enter his throne room. Wow, what a wonder. This is what it says in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. Wow. Wow. It may be a common scripture for some of you. Some of you have heard this verse. Maybe you've even studied it many times before. What is really going on, though? There's something here that tells the truth about God and should affect our daily mindset in such a wonderful way. Like, for example, I think most of us, if I could go so far as to make an assumption. If you're anything like me, most of us, we, we live in this near constant fear that Jesus is shunning us because we're sinning or we're about to sin. <laughs> we're sinning or we're thinking about sinning. And so Jesus, man, he's just waiting to punish us like that mom or dad figure. And he's just gonna push us back to where we belong to our time out. 
This verse, you guys, just right away, can I just contextualize this? This verse proves and says the opposite. It says the opposite. That in our weakness, he sympathizes. He comes to us and we come to him in our weakness. Not in our perfection, not in our performing, not in our sinlessness, not that that could ever even exist besides the person of Jesus. I read one author, uh, he put it in a different way, but I just translated it. This is like what Jesus gets out of bed in the morning for. (laughs) If you can give me that, that kind of humanistic terms to apply to Jesus. But just think about it. That's his purpose. In a major way, his purpose, he jumps out of bed in the morning to come close to us. Yes, imperfect people, people who sin and think about sinning, jumps out of bed in the morning to come to us. And he says, come to him. That was the level that we're starting at as we look at this text, at this picture. And we're going to start in verse 14. It says, high priest. High priest is very particular, original language here. What is the high priest from the Old Testament? Remember, Hebrews, as we are in this study, is a, is a, uh, is a reflection, is a perfection of the Old Testament model, the Old Testament way, Old Testament verse, scripture, models. And so, of course, thousands of years before the time of Jesus, we have these high priests. Who is the high priest? You could, for further study, you could look at Leviticus 21 or Numbers 35. But as an actual historical person, a predecessor to Jesus, the high priest, this was one righteous Jew. Let me tell you. Okay? It's one holy and righteous Jew. But as we found out, sometimes not so righteous. They fell short many times. They'd be selected for this job to perform the duties of the priesthood. And once a year, they would enter, for the Day of Atonement, they would enter the Holy of Holies in the temple, in the place of worship, the central place of worship to meet God. Remember, God is in their midst in this period of time. He's he's the literal presence of God. The holiness and righteousness and uncontained presence of God is there in their midst. And so you better have a high priest who's there able to clean the place up. Can I just put it that way plainly? And so he goes, the high priest goes and offers these sacrifices for his own sins because he's still just a man. So he's sinning or thinking about sinning too and the sins of the people. He is this intercessor. He's this intermediary between God and man and vice versa, between man and God. If you want to take a deeper dive, which we're about to do right now, we're just on verse 14, high priests. In the Old Testament, this priest was chosen from the line of Aaron. There's one particular tribe that could be priests. It just comes from the tribe of Aaron. And then from that tribe, only the cream of the crop, only the best of the best of the best can be selected to be that one high priest. There's only one of them. And they get to go in the Holy of Holies. They're, they're pretty special. And they have that post for life. So I think chief justices, that's our most modern equivalent, right? They hold that post for life. But that was all the nice, neat era before occupation, before slavery and occupation. The Jewish people, right into the time of Jesus, what kind of situation are they in now? They got these overlords and these rulers, these pagan, would have been the word they used because they're non-Jewish, these pagan overlords and rulers, the Roman government. And they distort and muddy the entire system of priestly service. They're selecting the priests. They don't have to be a part of the uh, tribe of Aaron They don't serve life terms. They're highly churned over because they either serve the purpose of the Romans or not. It's a mess. And why do I do this deeper dive? Because you guys got to get in the shoes of a first century Jew. If they're sitting there and they're listening to the author of Hebrews, because this author of Hebrews wrote a letter to a group of people, Jewish Christians, and he's outlining for them, this is the great high priest. 
They're thinking, is it possible? Is it true? Because all we've known are these clowns. All we've known is this puppet government situation that we've served under. It's lost all legitimacy. And so Jesus redeems this whole structure. Now, maybe we're going to go even deeper still. And I do want to go deeper still. What's the difference? Maybe one of you, maybe one person out there is thinking about Ben. But what's the difference between priest and pastor? You claim the title pastor, Ben. What, what, what of you? What of it? What are you saying? Big priest, little priest. Little guy. That's me. It's the little guy. And I have an illustration. I want to unpack this for you. If you've ever heard me introduce myself on Sundays, there's a very intentional design I use. And I tell you that I'm Ben, and I'm one of the pastors on staff. And that is by design. It's not feigning humility. I'm not trying to avoid or ignore my newly christened title of lead pastor that I took on in January. No, I'm not just trying to avoid that. I'm not also trying to avoid the seriousness and the weight and the gravity of that office. No, it's by intentional design, and I'll tell you why. If you look at church history, guys, does Christian leadership have a good track record? Does it have a good track record? Christian leadership. Some real wackos. Some real punks and chumps and power-hungry people who would love it if you would worship them. They would just love it if you would worship them as a man. Now, I know. I, I get it. No one's about to worship me. I understand. No one's ever even thought about that. Uh, wrinkles up here. That's our nicknames, by the way. Bucky's the, one of the founding pastors. We call him dry cleaners because, you know, your boy, when he comes in, he's got, like, collared shirts pressed and tucked in. His pants always look good. No stains from toddlers or whatever other mishaps getting into church. So we call him dry cleaners, and I'm wrinkles. So I, I get it. No one's coming to worship but this guy, all right? I, I understand. But, but unfortunately... Unfortunately, the history is stacked against me for people that would try and drift. There's this drifting, not by intention, but this potentiality even simply to start to idolize or look up to this preacher merely because of the way they represent God's word to a group of people. Just even in this act of administering the word of God can, can lead to these unhealthy leadership models. So that's part of the description of why big priest, little teeny tiny priest, and we have other pastors. We have other pastors. That's why I say that. We have this wonderful staff of pastors. They care. They listen. They counsel. They pray. They support. They lead and guide. They administer God's word. Their names are Bucky, Melissa, Sherry, Patrick, Isaac, Jay, Cece, Randy, Francisco. This is our staff. Part-time, full-time. And they're all pastoral to a core. It's beautiful to see. And I'm one of them. That's the first reason I use that very intentional description for myself. Someone might have wondered. One of you might have wondered. And there's another reason why. I use that description for myself. And way more to the point of this great high priest. We are all, even those co-laborers with me, even volunteer elders and deacons and leaders who do the same pastoral work, we are all a fragment image of the great high priest. So you guys, I think that we've even gone so far wrongly and mostly I think it's pastors to fellow pastors. They say this to each other. Well, man, you're the, you're the shepherd of that flock. How are you doing with your, with your sheep? How's the, how's the flocking going? I don't even know if that's a word, but that's how it happened just now, out of my voice. And it's wrong. It's all wrong. The verse back in the Gospel of John says, from Jesus' lips, I am the shepherd. I am the shepherd. So we are at best, as my friend Vance says, we as the leaders of the church are the sheepdogs. We're the sheepdogs. 
just kind of yipping and barking and corralling and, and coming alongside at the same level as the sheep. Is that a beautiful picture for Christian leadership? That's what I'm committed to go down, that road. And that's how I view Christian leadership, is that this church is the one true shepherd. That is Jesus, the great high priest. He's the shepherd of us all, the shepherd of our hearts. And that is our picture of leadership here at this church. So our great high priest, big priest, it says in verse 14, hold fast to the confession. And I was wondering, what is that all about? Are we confessing and repenting of sins? What's happening here, Jesus? And yet I looked further at the Greek, and it means compact or agreement. Really, the author is referring to the gospel. Let us hold fast to the gospel. It's like a foregone conclusion for the author. The author's like, remember that thing? We agree. Can we just agree that Jesus has the sole power to save that his sacrifice was enough to, for once and for all, and he's reigning right now at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again. Because remember, from week one in this series, we did a full and complete definition of the gospel. The gospel is not, y'all, just really quick, the gospel is not my personal baby Jesus came to save me, and I'm on the personal life raft. Yay, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. But, in, but sometimes in contemporary Western Christian circles, we've made that be the whole picture. Not the whole picture. We have to have agreement around this lofty, the king, the high priest who came and is reigning right now at the right hand of the Father. He's the high priest interceding on our behalf, Hebrews says. That's what confession means. Thought I'd make that really clear really quick. Let's camp out on verse 15. Verse 15 says, it begins, for we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing. Sympathizing. Who has been uh, tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Oh my gosh, why? This is the relatability factor. I call this the relatability factor of Jesus. Why is that so important and so underrated and underappreciated when we read this? Oh yeah, Jesus was a man, Ben. We get it. He was tempted. Not really. He was Jesus. He was God, man. Look, at this is why it's so important, the relatability factor. I love what Dane Ortland says in, in the book, Gentle and Lowly. I'm going through it right now, just rocking my world. He says, all of our natural intuitions tell us that Jesus is with us, on our side, present and helping, when life is going well. This text says the opposite. It's our weaknesses that Jesus sympathizes with. What? How? He doesn't shun us? We're not in a timeout when we're sitting or thinking about sinning? No, in our precise weakness, he resonates in our temptation, in our sin, he, he resonates. Though he was without sin, he resonates. He gives access to his office. We think that Jesus' mindset is you're in a timeout. We, our mindset is that when we're bad, it's really bad, and bye-bye Jesus. That's what we do. When it's going bad, it's really bad, and Jesus ain't nowhere to be found. This verse says the opposite. He is like us. Another verse, another translation says, in all things in the same way. Not just some of the things in a different way, because after all, he's Jesus, and I mean, maybe he got a partial. Jesus got a partial, because he's Jesus. He's God-man. He got a partial. No. No. That's not what the Bible says. In the same way, all the things. Dane Ortland goes on. He says, it's our tendency to feel intuitively that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. As we sink further into pain, we sink further into felt isolation. The Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. We are never alone. That sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, we, no one knows what we're feeling right now. No one knows what I'm going through, was endured by him in the past. 
and is now. Why is that keyword now? If you know the full gospel, he's currently reigning right now. Now he's shouldering them in the present right now. Get this. He knows what it is to be thirsty, hungry, despised, rejected, scorned. Oops, sorry. There it is. Sorry. Got ahead of you guys. Hang with me. He knows, he knows, he knows what it is to be thirsty, hungry, despised, rejected, scorned, shamed, embarrassed, abandoned, misunderstood, falsely accused, suffocated. You guys ever felt suffocated before? An anxiety attack or a panic attack, you ever felt suffocated? So stressed out, you weren't sure if you were breathing? Jesus knows. Tortured and killed, he knows what it is to be lonely. Why? Because of this key word. He suffers with. He suffers with. He sympathized. That Greek word, sympathio, means to suffer with. To suffer with. He is our co-sufferer, you guys. Never forget that. That's when he's closest to us. When you're in pain. Guys, Christians today, we have to have a theology for suffering. And when you're in pain, it is the most intimate place you could be with Jesus He's not far away. He's not shunning you. You're not being punished. You're being matured. You're growing in faith, says Scripture, says Hebrews. He's never closer than when you're suffering. He knows what you're going through. He knows what it means to suffer. He is your co-sufferer. Why is relatability factor so important? Because he was like us. Why is the relatability factor also important? Because he is unlike. He's unlike us. As much as he knows what it's like, he was tempted in every way, but didn't sin. That's the key part. He was unlike. He became our bloodied sacrifice. If you and I, as human beings, go and we hang on the cross, one down, (laughs) and that's it. When he goes, he pays for it all. All. And that's such a crucial way that he is unlike us as God's chosen and preexistent son. One very crucial, important way that he had to be unlike us because that's what makes his priestly greatness. That's what makes him great. He could be a high priest, but that's what makes him great is that he pays the price and becomes our bloody sacrifice. As, we, as I turn the corner and I got three minutes, I think I'm ahead of schedule. I wanted to know as I read this, I wanted to know what does confidently approach mean? Is it just what I think it means to come boldly? What does it mean? So I went to BibleHub.com. After all, this whole sermon is sponsored by BibleHub.com. Go there for your answers. Go there for your Greek translation. Get yourself educated and trained up in every word that flows from the mouth of God. BibleHub.com. Look up a verse. Click on the word. Get the original Greek meaning. It's a beautiful and fun thing, guys. I'm not saying it's a a to-do to be a Christian. Forget all that. That's nonsense. But it is a great way to mature in the word of God, okay? And I wanted to know, what does confidently mean? It's this Greek word, parousia, parousia. Openness, boldness, freedom. Come to Jesus, you guys, with freedom, especially of speech. Oh, man, that's good. Is that good? That we can say anything to Jesus? Is that good news? Isn't that what King David did? Albeit maybe in Hebrew, but just bring his cuss words to to God? What? Guys, freedom, boldness. 
That word paresia, pos, meaning all, and racist, resolve. All resolve. You bring it all that you have with reckless abandon, and you come into the throne room. Wow. Boldness. It's used 31 times in the New Testament. That's pretty good. That's a lot of times in the book of Acts and the letters of the epistles, like this one, Hebrews, that we're reading, that we can proclaim the good news with boldness, that we can enter his throne room with boldness again and again and again. As a Christian, you guys got boldness. Can I just bless you with that? As a Christian, you can come to Jesus with boldness. Guys, with freedom. You're free indeed. He set you free. Who the sun sets free is what? Free indeed. Who the sun sets free is what? You're free indeed, okay? And guys, that's a Christian word. You've got to know about boldness. That's a Christian word 31 times in the New Testament. Wow, that's our word. Listen to this. I got 60 seconds. Listen to this. To find what? When you go boldly, what are you going to find? What are you going to, you're going to, first of all, you're going to receive. When you read that sentence, receive, you just take that line down, right? Like kind of just, just caught napping on Jesus, to be honest. We're just caught napping. We're just kind of snoozing. Like, oh, yeah, I'll receive it. I'll take anything someone wants to send my way. A gift, <laughs> freebies, swag. Oh, I'll receive it. How nice. How pleasant. It's a nicety, right? When, is that how you read it? That's how I read it. Well, just maybe if you want. Look at the Greek word, guys. This, this Greek word received 27 times. It means take it. Actively and aggressively lay hold of, lay claim. I think like a gold mine. I think like a piece of property. God, if, you guys, if you guys had 3,000 square foot in Orange County tomorrow and all you had to do was put a piece of wood in it, would you be staking that claim? Anyone want a home in Orange County? Anyone praying for a home in Orange County? You stake a claim. That's the language right there. Oops, that's our time. I got to stop. You guys want to hear the last point or not? It's okay. I, don't, I, should, I shouldn't. I should honor the timer. It's okay. I should. Does anyone want to hear? I mean, you guys don't want to hear the last point, right? It's okay. You don't have to say that for me. It's, you, it's really not that good. I don't know if it's that good. It's just the closing. It's the big, it's the big finish. I don't, it's cool if you guys don't want to. All right, good. Thank you. You pushed me over that one right there. So you're going to receive. You're going to lay claim in prayer. God, that's a prayer theology, you guys. That's prayer theology. When you go before him, are you going to stake a claim? Or are we going to just kind of latently like, uh, like roll over? What? Stake a claim. And, but then what do we receive? What is it that we're receiving? Mercy and grace. This word mercy, 27 times in the New Testament. Compassion. Pity. Sure, we get that. Compassion. Pity. All right, that's good. But that's, that's not all. When you do the language study, it says here in the language study on BibleHub.com, you know what it says? It says covenant love. Mm. Covenant love. Do you know what that is? That's the promises of God. Has anyone ever had that day or that week where they just, all the promises were no good? All of them were no good. Your friend, your family, your, 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 your emotional relationship you're in, and, the, and, their, and, and their words mean nothing to you anymore. Their words mean nothing. At the end of that day, could you use a little boost of covenant love, promises made good and secure by God? When we pray, we get this mercy. It's not just pity. It's covenant love. 27 times in the New Testament. And finally, we get grace. We get grace. Were you raised in the church like I was? And we get 
grace thrown at us all day long. It's like a grace parade, dude. It's like a grace firework show, just bombs away, grace. And there we know the verses, and my mom would pray it over me, and we get grace all day long. That's so good, right? What? How could we ever make it cheap? How could we ever belittle it? And this is the only reason I'm trumping this whole website, biblehub.com, because I find out the deeper meaning of this word, this, this Greek word, charis, for grace. It means that Jesus shares benefits with us. Y'all been in a benefit-sharing pool before? Talking about Medi-Cal for the kingdom of Jesus, dude? This benefits-sharing pool, dude? Whoa. What? Jesus is sharing his benefits with us. It says favor, caris, favor. He is favorable towards us. Guys, if our, if our inherent bias, if our, if our um, default bias is that we're, Jesus is just waiting to punish us and just to kick us out at the end of the day when we're sinning or we're thinking about sinning, if that's our default bias, you know what Jesus' default bias is? Leaning towards sinners every day. Leaning towards sinners every day. That's his bias. That's his inherent bias. That, that he's just leaning towards us with his favor and his grace and his benefit-sharing program. That's what he's doing. He gets out of bed in the morning. <laughs> he just jumps out of bed in the morning. I just want to share this caris with you, this grace. Oh, man. How many times in the New Testament is this word used? 157 times in the New Testament. Jesus wants us to understand what his default bias is, you guys. He wants us to understand what his default bias is. It's towards grace. For those he is bringing to himself, his flock. His default bias is grace. There's nothing you can do to push him away. There's nothing you could do. There's nothing you could say. So I want you to be encouraged in that. And I, and I want us to go into questions because I borrowed three or four extra minutes and I have it right now. If you guys go to the, go, go get your phones out. It's totally anonymous. If you go, if you use that watermarkoc.com slash questions, it'll just come to my inbox and uh, I won't see a name or an email address or anything. Uh, or you can raise your hand and Patrick will find you with a microphone. It's just fun. This is fun now. We've got like 15 minutes just to have fun. And so... Um, you know, throw out an icebreaker. Um, do we really think that Jesus was as funny and winsome as he was portrayed in the Chosen series, the Chosen TV series? I don't know, that's great. And my answer is yes, absolutely. I think he was funny. I think he was funny. I think he didn't take himself nearly as seriously as we think he did. In between gospel stories that were recorded, the things that were recorded, I think he was funny, dude. That was an icebreaker, in case you didn't catch it. <laughs> you can jump on Facebook and go right now on the live stream, and I will open it, and I will be ready to field questions. And um, I would love to get Melissa up here, and um, I'd love to even get you up here, Steve, if you wouldn't mind, um, just to be ready. I know I have no chairs, and I'm just bringing it on you, but I, I'm leaning on your Bible wisdom. So if people are going to try and stump a pastor, I'd rather them stump a Steve instead. So... Um, if you're comfortable, you can, yeah, no, I'm asking you to come up now. Yeah, you can come up here, Steve, yeah. Just in case I get, you know, stumped on a question, I want you to handle it, because you're ready. The, the, 
Your whole life has been leading towards this moment, Steve. You're ready. Steve is a leader of the church. He's been around church a long time. He studied the Bible longer than me, so. I have to admit, not, not lately. <laughs> okay, great. And I've been, I've been watching from afar. There you go. Good. We've all been doing that. Like Patrick said, we're all new. We're all new these days. But come on, guys. Jump on your phone and send us some questions. Um, we got some really great questions from last service. Should we use that? Mel is just another icebreaker to let people get warmed up because I know a lot of people are probably thinking these. Um, talk to us, Mel, when people ask about uh, mental health and anxiety. Um, that was a great question. Someone said, what practical advice does the Bible have on mental health or anxiety? Do you want to chip that off and then I'll, I'll piggyback off what you say? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I specifically have dealt with anxiety in my life. It's something that I'm very familiar with. I dealt with panic attacks in my early 20s, um, something that seems and feels super, super scary in the moment. And sometimes, um, you know, the the way we want to combat it is with scripture, yes, and, and renewing our minds and all those things. Sometimes in the moment when you're in the middle of a panic attack, you can't necessarily get to that place super quickly where you're just like, okay, let me just meditate on scripture really fast because you're kind of in this like tornado effect that's kind of like setting you up to fail pretty much. Um, three things, or one thing I want to say about anxiety is I think it can come stem from three different places. I think it can come from um, a chemical imbalance in your brain. I think it can be situational, and I think it can be spiritual. So I think there's a lot of different a lot of different elements that can be at play when it comes to anxiety. So really bringing it before the Lord and asking uh, what the root of it is, I think is really important. And I think it can be combated with medication. I have done that before. I think it can be combated with um, therapy. I think, though, anxiety is something that we have to be okay with and not embarrassed of um, to be able to talk about because I think more people deal with it than, than we even know or imagine, and it's kind of helpful when you have that person that you can go to and be like, I'm struggling, and, and I, I, I have some people that come to me in my life because they know that I've struggled with it, and I'm thankful that I can speak in because the Lord did free me from panic attacks, um, and that was a growth process that I did through therapy. But I think um, initially, though, uh, silence, solitude, prayer, and renewing your mind on a daily basis is going to give you the foundation that perhaps you would be able to combat it a little bit better. Uh, solidifying your day with a strong foundation will kind of set you up to get through the rest of the day. It doesn't mean the panic attacks or the anxiety are going to go away, uh, but that's where I'd start. So I'd start with talking to the Lord about what the root is, where it's coming from, getting prayer, um, having a team of people who love you and support you that'll lift you up that you can reach out to. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Super good. Thank you, Melissa. And thank you for being candid about your own experience. just want to affirm what Mel said. At this church, you will never be shunned or uh, guilted or shamed for seeking uh, medical intervention for whatever you're struggling with. We believe that God uses doctors and natural science to help the healing process 100%. And also at this church, we will offer prayer at the end of every service for deep healing and deliverance. We believe the Bible uh, that, that talks about people getting delivered and healed is still real and available for today. And, but yet at the same time, we don't guarantee that that's for everyone all the time and God's gonna heal you right away. Well, there's even purpose in our suffering. Paul prayed that. Why did God not remove the thorn in my flesh, Paul said? Well, part of the answer was, according to Paul, because your strength is made perfect in my weakness. Your strength, Jesus, is made perfect in my weakness. You're trying to do something. And um, there's one other practical thing. I love the question, and I think maybe hopefully this is relating to someone else, and right now you should be typing in your questions on your phones, but um, the, the question was, what practical advice does the Bible have? Because, you know, we tend to over-spiritualize. And I love the passage in Philippians 4 that says, fix your thoughts, fix your mind 
on whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is just. And I think that mind focus, I read a book, this guy talked about a Christ focus. Oh, that just rocked my world. And I've been praying it for you all and for this church that we would help one another get a, a greater Christ focus. And I think that's an intensely practical verse because where your mind goes, there will be your behavior and your outcomes and your realities where, where your mind goes. And so if you fix your mind on the media and you're consuming all these things, it's just fire all the time and the end of the world all the time, what will you feel in your worry and your stress and your anxiety and your depression? You, you may feel those things. And what happens when we, when we consume just on a sheer amount of hours, a Christ focus, if we just set our attention and our gaze on him. And, and in terms of hours, not just pray a prayer and be done. No, in, in terms of pure hours, when we develop a Christ focus as a people, I think those outcomes can change. And so I just want to say that practically. And uh, Patrick, head over to Carol. I'm just going to uh, pick this one up. And Steve, I'm going to give you a chance. If you want to, do you want to hit something specifically on that? Did you have something? Uh, on which one? The anxiety and worrying. I, well, I do have something that, that I did struggle with. Yeah. Um, and very quickly, I mean, last Here, here, take this. Take one minute, and we'll go to the next question. So... Uh, on the topic, my daughter struggles uh, greatly with anxiety and has for years, and, and I struggled with understanding that. Uh, last summer, just due just massive stress, to be honest. It's not, not chemical imbalance or anything like that. I, I had a bout with anxiety and ended up in the emergency room and just really no idea what was going on. And it was circumstantial. So, you know, I, I feel pretty fortunate that I don't have to struggle with that on a regular basis. And it was really scary. And it did give me a, a much clearer understanding of uh, the uncontrollable nature. Like, it's not just think your way out of it or just make it stop. And, uh, and so it did give me a, a much greater understanding of what, you know, people do struggle with. And, and I do think that orienting our life around, like, figuring out for myself and maybe others, figuring out how to rest more not real good at that. So I think that's, that was the, the takeaway for me. Oh, I, love that. I love that you add, Steve, about rest. We're trying to be a church that helps people Sabbath. We have a value. Uh, it's called stop. Of our 10 family values, one of them stop. And that means Sabbath, rest, uh, silence, solitude, stillness. Mel mentioned those. Um, I believe that if we're going to make it through, guys, this technological wave, tech tools are great. They're great if we can master them. But I believe this generation and before and after us needs a monastery type rhythm if we're going to make it, if we're going to help kind of manage the strength of our souls. I think your story so well articulates that, Steve. I'm going to come to you in a second, Carol, but I'm just going to, this is another quick one and a good one. Thank you for these questions, guys. Um, it says, why is following the Bible important to read daily instead of just looking things up? And then um, a, a similar question is, is there a specific order for reading the Bible? Uh, if so, what book is best to start with for someone who's never read the Bible? That's wonderful. I'm going to start there and just say, I would start with the Gospels, the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the Bible is one book, 66 books, the Old Testament books, and then the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're biographical pictures of Jesus, his words and his life. And, and why would we say to start there? Not because it's easy, but because Jesus, listen to this, whoever's asking this question, wonderful question. Jesus is the filter for all the other books. Jesus is the filter for how we read the entire Bible from beginning to end. Um, quickly on the other one about why it's important to read uh, the whole Bible instead of just Google uh, for your problems. Um, a, a couple things. First, I think the scripture you find on Google is the same word of God. It's still scripture. Hebrews itself, the book we're studying, says that Scripture is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's alive. It's alive. Wherever you read it, it's alive. 
So don't, don't harm yourself by thinking too negatively about yourself that you're only ever using Google. First of all, just give yourself grace. You're going to Google and you're trying to find verses. Scripture, it's still the word of God, whether it came digitally or came in a fancy print Bible. So just give yourself grace on that. And I would just say the brief other answer for why it's important to read it daily is context. Context. If you find yourself in, a, in some kind of rhythm for you of reading scripture cover to cover, if you can get through the whole thing in a year or a year and change, you're going you're gonna to get so many more questions answered, so many more connections made between what's going on in the Old and New Testaments and everything uh, than you could get just by reading slices of it here and there. Do you guys want to offer anything really quick on that Bible reading? Yeah, real quick. Um, I just wanted to say sometimes the Bible's really confusing and really hard to read and you're like reading something and you're like, I don't get this, this doesn't make sense and it's okay to need help to get through scripture, to have accountability, to go through it with somebody else. I actually went to Bible school because I was like, I want somebody else to walk me through this so that I'm not alone in my mind and I'm not reading it through a filter. It's really, really easy to read through a filter and so sometimes we need accountability and help on that. Awesome. Uh, so I've only read the Bible through one whole time, and, uh, but the things that have helped lately have been uh, the Bible Project videos. So especially for the Old Testament stuff, to be able to see the context of what's going on in that time without you know, having to go through a whole sermon in a really interesting, informative, and entertaining way. Great source. Everyone should save that source. The Bible Project website or its YouTube channel. It's a famous Christian YouTube channel, but it's, it's trustworthy. We would say as this church, that's good theology. What you can get from the Bible Project and their YouTube channel is really, really good. Carol, thank you for being patient. It's not, a, <clears throat> not actually a question. It, it kind of relates to both of the questions, I think. Um, you mentioned the chosen, and there's one thing that kind of um, answer, or using the, the scripture as well, but maybe this the way that the story is kind of revealing maybe some aspects. Um, there's, a, there's an instance in the, the Chosen where Mary Magdalene kind of regresses, and um, Jesus sends two individuals to go to her, and the rest of the disciples wonder, well, why are they going? You know, why did he choose them? <clears throat> And there was a work that, that Jesus was doing in Peter and in Matthew, the two that were sent to this particular person, because God was doing a work in those that were being sent to minister. And I think in the same way with understanding the word of God, we have a certain way that God speaks, I'm not going to say he speaks to us differently, but in our own giftedness or personality or whatever, how we're connect with other people, that the things that exist around us, um, illness, disease, homelessness, whatever they are, they're opportunities for those that are walking alongside someone to grow, for God to, to change us and one of the things I, I was listening for in the answers was what is it that God does in us through those things, through our community around us? Mm. Um, because a lot of times anxiety or illness or failure of mm -hmm. any kind is very isolating. Right. And to go to a point of isolation to figure out, well, what's going on? I think it's a... It's a an opportunity for the enemy to attack. Right. 
And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're in relationship with one another, we see the warning signs, or we've been through it, or whatever, and we crowd or are sent mm-hmm. to to a place, and it you know builds up. Yeah, that's so you know, good. Like Carol. the whole thing, but I, that's that's so good. Thank you for emphasizing particularly fellowship. What the the purpose of Christian fellowship, and even that quote that we read from Ortland is is no need to suffer alone. We the that's the enemy's game to make us feel that now that we're suffering, uh, we're unique in our suffering, and we must be isolated, and no one wants to touch that or be around that. But that's exactly what Christian fellowship is there for. So I really appreciate that and all you said there. Um, there's one that came in here. It's a little bit broken up um, grammatically, but it, it says, uh, and worship team, you guys can come on up, worship team, um, please. Uh, how, how do I practically plumb the depths of what uh, Jesus was dying for, I think it says? The cross for me means um, on a daily basis uh, to unlock his power and grace. So it's a little bit of a comment there, but... Um, if there's a question there about unlocking his power and his grace, um, I would say it's about prayer. I'm just going to go after that. If someone's wondering, how do I plumb the depths of God's word or relationship with God? Um, I, I, you guys will not be surprised by this answer, but please join me in humility and, and really considering this answer. What I'm going to say is prayer. I'm going to say prayer. Um, one author, I love what he says, uh, prayer is how we become trustworthy with the acts of God and what he wants to do in the world. It's safe power sharing with God in the world today. He wants to use us. He wants to use us as active participants. He wants to use us relationally with other people and to see his kingdom go forward. And, and so there's great power through time and prayer, just speaking to him, having him speak to us, just listening, not always speaking, but listening. And so there's a, there's a depth of a prayer practice that is so much deeper than I ever learned growing up in the church and growing up as a Christian. I never got it. I thought it was just requests. <laughs> I thought it was just a request service growing up. And I find out more and more the way to unlock grace and um, even God's power is through prayer. And so um, let's do one more. I'll let you guys go. Why should I follow Jesus instead of just trusting the United States government and the various nonprofit agencies will take care of me? That's a really wonderful question. And thank you for all the questions, by the way. Steve, do you want to take a, take a minute on that? Why should I trust uh, the kingdom and God over government and nonprofits? Go for it. Take a minute, and then I'll let Mel go, and we'll wind down. Take a minute to think about it. Uh, well, I think it's pretty clear that human institutions regularly disappoint. So it doesn't really matter if it's government or nonprofit or, frankly, families, other human beings. We get let down by human institutions, uh, you know, with absolute consistency. And uh, in the times where we're disappointed, so to the, the teaching today, it's, it's in our weakness, like you say, that, that God really meets us. And my closest times with God have been at times where I was at my absolute lowest. And so trusting in imperfect things uh, is, is, may take care of a need, may take care of a specific circumstance, which is great. And I, I am appreciative that we have a country that takes mostly decent care of people, uh, or that we have institutions all over the world where people who love God and love the other people, or people that just love helping people are doing that. But ultimately, um, 
we're going to fail each other. And, and God is the one that will stand with us through all circumstances. Thanks, Steve. That's good. Do you want to go? Okay, this might seem a little extreme, but um, Joe Biden's not going to die for my sins. Only Jesus is. And so at the end of the day, there's one perfect person that ever existed on this planet, only one, and that's Jesus. Everybody else is imperfect. So uh, the government is set up for today. It's going to be gone tomorrow. Jesus is going to be forever. Um, and so I trust on the fact that uh, it started with God and it's, it's going to be finished with him um, and everything else is temporary. And so um, we have to trust what we can't see instead of maybe what's right in front of us. Thank you, Mel and Steve. Get up for these guys. They were put themselves under fire. And give it up for the questioners. Thank you guys so much for the questions. Um, really quick, just to wind down with that last one, just to affirm what these two both said on that. Um, you kind of have to back up, you know? Um, knowing which organizations to trust, government uh, or nonprofit or the kingdom ruled by a reigning king right now, uh, you back that question up and you've got to ask what you believe about the kingdom, what you believe about God and the Bible and Jesus. Um, because if it's just a myth, if it's just really good poetry, if scripture is uh, unsupported and unsubstantiated claims that's just like any other good wisdom book, then I could understand the question. We would just take what we could get anywhere from a religious system or from a government organization or from a nonprofit, and then I get it. But if the word of God can be proven outside of itself, with sources outside of itself, let me just even drill it down, not the word of God only, but Jesus if Jesus was a historical figure who lived without sin, died on a cross in a real time period, around 35, 36 AD, and that his body was never found by any organization or institution or group of people, the, the Roman guard never produced his body, we have to wrestle with that, okay? If that's true, if that, that flow of information, that logic is true, then that surely supports the whole rest of the Bible as truthful and dependable for our lives here and now, like these two guys said, over and against any other offer, over and against any other system, over and against any other man-made thing, exactly because of what Jesus said. There was only one sinless lamb who became the bloody offering for all of us. There was only one. And that's why... Um, even on a holiday like today, 4th of July, and we're so thankful. We are thankful. You must be thankful. You can critique, critique to your dying day this country we live in, and I'm one of those. I'm one of the biggest critiques. I want to see us be better as a people and a nation. I want to see that. But at the end of the day, if you have a truly global worldview, you can appreciate some of the things we do have. It's a, it's a special place. It's a special system of governance. It really is unique and special. But it will never be God. It'll just be good. America as a nation is, is a good thing but it will never be God. We get into muddy waters and we treat any good thing as a God thing. So God is the ultimate thing that we can put our trust and our hope in. Thank you so much for that question. Thank you guys. Why don't you just stand? I'm gonna send you out with this song. This song is such a picture of what we've been talking about all day. That we have a high priest. That we have a great high priest who says, come boldly, confidently, come and be with me and I with you. We can run to the altar. And that's what he wants for each one of us. That's what Jesus gets out of bed in the morning for, is that we would come to him and be with him and commune with him. 
And so let's just pray, Jesus. And, and by the way, you can take communion. There's communion. I, I hope that you will. Communion at the front with the candles, and there's back two stations here. Take communion in this song. And Jesus, may our hearts be renewed. God, your grace, your charis, your favor, your, your benefits, may they be extended to us as we take communion now, God. May we be reminded of your body and your blood broken and poured out for us as a perfect offering, the once for all perfect offering. Let us remember that and experience that in a tangible way right now, right now as we take communion. Bless us and keep us with your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to go anytime and take communion, guys. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.